Today is what we call uh, a Vision Sunday. And twice a year, we take a Sunday just to remind us what we are about because we're forgetful people. Um, I was hanging out over at the Tewart's house last night with the Janots and the Hartmans, and, and we're talking about being healthy. And, and, I, and I said, because from 2008 to 2012, like, I was, like, the epitome of health, really. Like, I really was. And, um, and it was, a health, like, healthier than I ever was when I was in high school playing sports and all that stuff. Like, just, I'd had this wake-up call when, you know, in 2008, I was 32, got her- diagnosed with a herniated disc, and I was like, I got a long way to go, haven't even had kids yet. You know, so just started getting healthy and really, like, just became this lifestyle and was wonderful, and I was even a little, little um, emphatic too much at the time. Um, but then it kind of leveled out, and it was just great, you know, and if you've ever been through that, like, just, you just feel better, you're purposeful, it's a lot easier to be disciplined across the board, and last night I was just saying, like, I am, I am that person now who loves the thought of being healthy, who loves the thought of being active, but has forgotten actually what it feels like to do any of those things. So personal confession and, and maybe some call to accountability and help, and, 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 and I'll tell you this, it's not for lack of trying. I mean, Jairo Rojas is always like, Heath, you know, hey, just stretch every morning. Let's just start there. Just stretch every morning. And I was like, I think I do one. I don't know, but... Um, but, but we're forgetful people. Like, I mean, it was such, like, I, I really thought, like, I would never, ever, like, lose that because it had just become so much a part of me. And I just thought, I, man, this is, like, so good. And, and now I'm, I'm a forgetful person. And so as people pursuing the glory of God together in a very certain way, like, what's beautiful is that the church, the church under Jesus Christ, all of us have one purpose, right? That's to live for the glory of God and make disciples of all nations. Like, that's what we get to do. Love God, love people, but yet, because of living in the world that we live with different cultures and and different preferences and whatever else God accommodating for our humanness, we have local congregations. And he calls us together for a very specific purpose and a very specific time that we pursue that that all-encompassing one purpose of the church together uniquely. And so we take time just to remind us, just to take time and remind us why we do what we do and why, why it matters. So today's one of those days, and, 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 I, and, and I love that, that there's this many of you here, and I can think of all the people that, are, that aren't, and, this is, and I'm like, this is so important. So really what needs to happen is that we all need to call each other and compel each other to this every day remind each other to this every day. And so I was talking to Matt Stevens, one of our other elders, a couple weeks ago, and we had, we had gone to this conference on kind of disciple-making and church planting. And I just love this quote that kind of summed up our conversation. He goes, I guess it really just all comes down to making disciples. And, and that maybe is a buzzword, maybe it's overused, maybe it's totally unfamiliar, but if you get all the implications and what that means, then you're like, oh, yes, it actually all just come down to whether or not we are faithfully making disciples of Jesus. And so we're like, yes, yeah, so how do, we just, how do we just make sure we're just doing that? Like, how do we make sure we're not getting distracted with, with looking like what we think a church should look like? How do we not get distracted with making sure that we're doing the right activities that we think a church should be doing? How do we keep from getting distracted with you know, other great things that are not our things. Like, how do we do that? And so we, we, we you know, we're always digging into this. This isn't anything new, but yet all this, it's always new. Like, we're always being challenged in this. And so 
So that's what we're going to talk about today, and hopefully in the most, like, uh, yeah, like in the most open-handed, like, big concept, take it and now apply it to your life um, way, getting really practical and specific, <laughs> if we can do those two things at the same time, um, because it, it does take um, personal ownership and engagement of each one of us uniquely to actually have the right expression together. Um, so I want to go ahead and pray for us and... and work through, what's fun is that every January we focus on the same text at this weekend, and it's what we call the Great Commission. It's Jesus's last words uh, to the disciples before he ascended. It's, it's his charge. It's his parting words, and it wasn't just to the 11 that were with him. It perpetuates to all those who are in Christ for all time, so we are in this as well. So I want to pray, and we're going to focus on that in Matthew 28. You can go ahead and turn there if you would like. Um, you can also follow along on the screens or on the YouVersion Bible app, um, which if you go to more, click events, will pop up. Or if you don't have a Bible and you don't like technology, feel free to grab a Bible underneath a chair near you and turn to Matthew 28 with us. And if you don't have a Bible, that's our gift to you. We'd love for you to take it with you. Let me pray. God, you are good, and we are amazed at your love and grace. Lord, I, I, just to say things like that, I... I I'm continually challenged at it whether or not I, I truly understand that statement that you are good, that you are loving, that you are full of grace. And Lord, I, I pray that you would just continue to unfold that in our hearts and minds and let, that, let the impact of that flourish in our lives, Lord, as we live lives that are, that are transformed and being transformed by the work of Christ, lives that are committed to the purpose of Christ, and Lord, one that is expressed as a community together, um, recognizing that, that you've created us that way. And so, Lord, we give you this time. Lord, speak through me, in spite of me. I don't care. Just be glorified. Take the words that come out of my mouth. Catch them aflame by your Holy Spirit in our hearts and lives, that you will be glorified and the world will be transformed. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So let's go ahead and read this in full. It's Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. Here we go. It says, And Jesus came and said to them, I'm going to pause because this is important. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's Jesus. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the ends of the age. So I just want to kind of over the next little bit break this charge down from Jesus and then, and then show how we can live this out together. So first we see in verse 18 when he says, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus starts with just establishing his authority. He starts with establishing his authority. And, and the question is, why does he start? This is his last charge, and so he wants to set the tone. He wants to set it up. So why does he start with establishing his authority? And, and I'll say just a personal kind of introspection and, and evaluation kind of of the human condition. I would say in our tendency to elevate ourselves, we tend to kind of start with us in the way that we see things and then try to explain the world that way and try to explain God that way and try to explain his teachings that way. We often interpret this 
as Jesus kind of making a convincing argument, convincing us that we can trust him, that his command is worthy of attention. And it's kind of in that sphere. And that sounds, that sounds good. It's definitely productive for us to incline ourselves towards the teaching of Jesus. But yet that's, that's insufficient. What's really happening here is a call for us to be humble. Jesus is saying, hey, I'm, I'm not, it's not just a teaching worth listening to. Like, I am Jesus the King. I have come to restore. I am, I am one. I am, I and the Father are one. It's a claim to his divinity, to his sovereignty. And so it's a call for us to be humbled and to surrender our entire lives to Jesus and his purpose. It's, it, it is all-encompassing, is to live and to love as he did and does, as, to, as a call for us to count the cost. Like, there is sacrifice to the restoring work of Christ in our lives. There is, there, it, 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 to follow Jesus affects the choices you make. It affects the things that you pursue. It affects the opportunities that you get, maybe. So we have to count the cost. It's a call to count the cost. It's the cost of Christ laid over every one of our lives, laid over the every day. It doesn't ebb. It doesn't flow. It doesn't just cover some parts. It's all-encompassing. So it's this, this great statement of authority that we would hopefully be humbled and find ourselves before God saying, okay, I need you. I am yours. My life is yours. Come what may, kind of a blank check life. And this is for all of us. Again, like, uh, you know, we kind of tailor our worship gatherings on Sunday, that kind of teaching to the body of Christ. Like, we, we, we look at this time as a time for us to encourage one another, to build up one another, to call each other to kingdom mission, but also knowing that that, that may not be everyone's place right now. Everyone's not, maybe not there. Maybe you're still kind of kicking the tires. Maybe you're just totally skeptical and you just kind of want to get a glimpse into the to the weird world of all this, and you know, and that's great, and so we understand that, but I'll tell you, this, this call is for all of us, because if we believe that there is one God, and that he created all things, and he created truth, he created right and wrong, he is truth, he created right and wrong, he defines it all, and, and that he is the one who restores us, and, he, and it happens in Christ, then it doesn't matter what we think, we're under this charge and this truth. And so, for those who have not acknowledged Christ as Savior, but in whatever, like kind of wherever you find yourself on that continuum, just the invitation here and the very loving exhortation is to see that Jesus is Lord and he came to set you free. And in that, you are called to surrender, surrender your freedom unto freedom. It is in surrendering your will that you actually find the freedom you desire. You surrender unto wholeness. You surrender to the purpose that you've been longing for. You surrender to salvation, to the assurance, to the hope. So there's an invitation in this charge that we kind of bucket the call of, oh, there's that tyrannical religiosity again. You know, I have no mind of my own. I have no life of my own. Like, it's just, let's just make a bunch of little lemmings that do the same thing. No, it's this call. It is this call to recognize an almighty God who is holy and who is loving and merciful and just and made a way for you to be restored in your sinfulness. And so it's a call to surrender. For the Christ follower, for those who are in Christ, it is surrender and follow Jesus every day in every way. We should absolutely expect this to take over our entire life. 
And so as the bridge Montrose, as the people call together, like our activity, our purposefulness, it doesn't like, as I'm, this is going to be a broken record a bit, but it doesn't start and stop with kind of what you're doing. Again, we are a people called together underneath the headship of Christ, living out his purpose. So like because we've been called together, it's not about the bridge, it's about the kingdom and glory of God facilitated in Christ. And so we should absolutely expect it to take over our entire life. We should expect there to be lots of contact with one another because we're called together. We should expect there to be like intention like constant intentionality expressed in the freedom of grace in Christ. After all, thinking about this, salvation in Christ is not just not just kind of this 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 hopeful trinket, but it's all things new. It's identity. It's that it's what it's you being restored to what you were created for. It's you being restored to 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 the right position in God as He intended through Christ, being once again a child of God, no longer a rebel, no longer outcast but now a son and a daughter, no longer dead, but alive. So it's, it, that's why we can't expect anything but all-encompassing. And if you want something real, this is how far it goes. We say all the time, I want this to be real. I, want it to, I don't want to just do church. I don't want to just be religious. And yet, as soon as it really starts to infringe on the choices we make or the way we pattern our lives and priorities, we say, okay, wait, 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 wait. There, there, there has to be like something more realistic. But this is, this is why Jesus starts with his authority, because you better count the cost, because it requires everything, and it also is everything. So, again, I know we're moving fast. This is like, let's keep talking about this, and we should, so let's all get coffee together, go eat breakfast together, get in each other's homes, let this continue, continue chewing on the implications of it. But what is the call of Christ? If we say that it's all about his call enveloping all of our lives, what is the call? So we find this call in the command that follows. The call of Christ is in, the, in this command, is in the beginning of verse 19 right here. It says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And again, we could spend a lot more time on this, but the broad strokes here, the idea is that as you are going, you make disciples. As you are a disciple, you are discipling. And so really, like there's this verb we could turn disciple into, like discipling entails the going and the teaching, the going and the reaching. To think about this idea, so like it's, it is like we are just, we are discipling. Like I don't know if that, that conveys, but like just we are who we are in the everyday and along the way, we, we are instruments of grace and truth. In every sphere of influence that we have, starting with your home, to your neighbor, to your workplace, to the places you step into intentionally where it is not like you and not comfortable, to the ends of the earth when you go as you're called. So it is, it is as you go about the ins and outs of every day, you're, you're seeing as God sees. You're not seeing as you see. You're, you're choosing as God chooses. You're loving as God loves. You're yearning for creation to be restored as God does in responding to needs and opportunities along the way. Um, back in 1989, there was a lot of turmoil in China. There was kind of this new culture and government kind of developing, and not, without going into all of that, there was this uprising of the, the, the Chinese democracy movement. 
and it was gaining steam. And the government was trying to control and suppress, and, and there was this clash, and, and this day came that, that hundreds of, of citizens were killed. And the next day in Tiananmen Square, there was these great protests. And, and maybe you've seen this picture before. This is this guy on the bottom left. That's all we know to call him is Tank Man. So this is one man stepping out in front of tanks. He even gets up on the tank, starts banging on the hatch. Looks like he's trying to talk to the soldiers inside. And this is a moment that happened. While no one really knows who Tank Man is to this day, <clears throat> you know, and they don't know what exactly he was doing that day, what, they, what most witnesses say is that it, it seems that he was just a normal Beijing citizen who all of a sudden was confronted with the wrong, was confronted with the people being wronged in the need. Look at his hands. What do you see in his hands? It, from Again, from witnesses, it, it looks like it's kind of a workday bag and shopping bags. It doesn't look like he was there as a protester, that he got on his, his best, like, make a statement clothes and ready to do work. It looks like he was at work, and now he's walking home and stopped at the market, and all of a sudden, he sees this reality of people being wronged. And, and all he can do is, just as he was that day, step in. This is the picture of making disciples. It is in the everyday way of your life, as we encounter the opportunities and the needs of grace and the gospel of truth in Jesus, we step up and we step in. We're interruptible. We don't put ourselves first. We don't consider what could happen. We, can, we count the cost. We think of the eternal promise and what's at stake, and we act. So, that's the picture. That's always been so impacting to me. So let that kind of stick. So what is the process of making disciples? So Jesus gave this command, and now he kind of unpacks it. He explains it. If you're going to go and therefore make disciples of all nations, here's what it is. And we see it in verse, the second part of verse 19, the beginning of verse 20. He says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. So first we come to this charge to baptize. And to think about what baptism was at this time, it's not just something that the, the modern church has adopted. It was, it was there all along, and it's this testimony of joining a people. In the Old Testament, it was when the Gentiles would come to believe in the God of Israel. And they would leave their, 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 their human-centered kind of pagan philosophies and say, I am becoming as if I was, a, I am becoming a people of Israel. And in his baptism... He was testifying to that. He was saying, my life is no longer what it was. My purpose is no longer what it was. My many gods is now one God. My, my, my ascent, my, everything. It's this, it's this all-encompassing testimony. It's a confession of joining in with the triune God. It's a confession of faith unto salvation as we understand it in Christ. So first off, it is the work of, of, of being the light of Christ in the world, getting the message of the redeeming work of Christ to every man, woman, and child that we have opportunity with. So we are to go and, and live convincing lives. We're to go and, and live with integrity and humility and, and selflessness and, and all with a trajectory that maybe as the Lord leads and provides opportunity in our humility and boldness that we would proclaim with our mouths 
the riches of grace in Jesus. So it is the work of, of calling those to Christ for salvation. So it's baptizing, and then it's also teaching them to follow Jesus, teaching them all that I have taught, commanded you, teaching them to obey all I've commanded you. So it is teaching them to follow Jesus. So to, to be redeemed in Jesus, to be a disciple of Jesus, is not just to be saved, but it's also to be a follower. It's not only a confession of faith, it's a confession of fellowship. This is about the person of Jesus, the Word of God. He says, he is, the Word has become flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus. It is about Jesus. So one of our core values is that we commit to live under full biblical authority. So while our standing before God is immediately changed solely by the work of God in Christ by Jesus taking on our sin, our guilt, and our wrath, and giving us his righteousness, his, his holiness, his right standing before God, which therefore makes us innocent as if we were never guilty, that, that happens immediately, and that's completed in Christ. At the same time, we're also called to, to pursue personally and to help each other pursue the daily work of taking off the old self, dying to self, and putting on the new self, putting on Christ choosing Christ. And we understand that as the Holy Spirit works in us to illuminate the Word of God, the revealed will of God. And so as we pursue this personally and as we discourse and chew on it and wrestle with it together, we are transformed. We are, we are learning the commands of God. We are learning what it is to grow in His image as His image bearers restored, and we are, we are continuing in that work. So that's where this, this charge to go and make disciples, it entails reaching with the gospel of Jesus as well as, as, uh, as teaching with the gospel of Jesus, teaching the life of Christ. So we are to proclaim the gospel of Jesus and then teach those who come to Christ how to live out the life of Christ. So this brings us to our thesis for the day. Here we go. Every Christ follower is a disciple maker. No one is exempt. And every disciple-maker is a missionary with a mission field to claim. Every Christ follower is a disciple-maker, and every disciple-maker is a missionary with a mission field to claim. So I think as, as, we, as we kind of venture into this, and we say that we're a part of the church, and we say that we're, that, that we're doing this, you know, we can kill, in, in subtle ways still kind of leave leave some activity to others, those who we see kind of as the professional Christian, the church staff and pastoral staffs, um, those who are, that we would deem the elite Christians, maybe elders or just those people that have been Christians for a long time or know all the right words, and we can kind of say, okay, when I get to where they are, this call is on my life, but right now, I just need to learn. Right now, I just need to, you know, I need to be safe and I need to, to kind of incubate or whatever it is. But this call, this expectation, is not just for others. I mean, you think about a couple of pictures in Scripture, the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman that Jesus encountered, and she was not only a Samaritan, she was, she was a woman of horrible reputation, had, had been married multiple times, and now was living with a guy that she wasn't married, and she, she was at the well kind of at a, in, an inopportune time of day because of kind of wanting to hide from her reputation, and she encounters Christ, 
And, and long story short, she recognizes him as the Messiah, acknowledges him and surrenders, and imme- immediately runs into her town. And this woman of horrible reputation influences her entire town where they're like, wait a second, something's happened to her, and she's proclaiming something different than, than she should be. And they all come out and hear Jesus. Or the blind man in John 9, one of my favorite examples, this guy who was born blind and Jesus heals him and, and, and there's an uproar of like, well, wait a second, like who did this? And, and his parents like throw him to, you know, kind of throw him under the bus and like, hey, he's old enough to answer for himself. Just ask him. We, we don't know. And they, they pull him before, him, before uh, the council and they say, hey, who did this for you? Who healed you? And the blind man says, hey, I, I don't know who this Jesus guy is. I really don't know. But what I do know is that I was blind and now I can see. Immediately, he had a testimony of what God had worked in his life, and it was convincing enough that they said, whoa, 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 now you're going to try to convert us too? And he just presented that truth. And so, again, it's for all of us. If you have experienced the work of Jesus in your life, if grace has washed over you, and, 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 and you have that freedom and that salvation and that purpose, even if it's to that granular, tiny little understanding, that is something powerful that the Lord can use. And all the disciples, like going and making disciples, like is imparting to others what God has imparted to you, the truth and the work. And so this is how we can say with full confidence, every Christ follower is a disciple maker. Every disciple maker is a missionary with a mission field to claim. And we'll get to the mission field thing in a minute. So two of our core values speak into this. First is another one. So another one of those is we commit to live in in biblical community. So what does this look like? And I, you know, as, as opposed to me trying to describe it, we'll just look at Acts 2, 42 through 47. It says this, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. So they devoted themselves to, again, the Word of God. They devoted themselves to the, the, the need for one another and the, the joyful sharing of, of this unique relationship in Christ that they didn't just get together every now and then like they share life. The breaking of bread is like when, when we share what God has provided, it's intimate and it's real. And they prayed together. They had a, a posture of dependency and they, and they were vulnerable to share that. And they came before God and all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Their, the, the fruit of their lives was not definable by their strength. It was supernatural. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were generous and selfless, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Again, they put others before themselves, and this is not saying that we have to pursue some socialistic society where everyone is equal. It is saying that as we have opportunity and as we are compelled to, we make sacrifices to provide and care for one another. And they were in, and um, <clears throat> excuse me, and day by day attending the temple together, they gathered together and they breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. So we see this beautiful picture of the body of Christ, of a family that's created as we are sealed by the Holy Spirit through the work of Christ. So we see this beautiful picture of a family that we are, we, we all have this all-encompassing purpose that is expressed collectively. So we hear that, like, maybe you've heard these terms before, maybe not, but the gathered and the scattered church, the gathered church and the scattered church, that the Holy Spirit works in both of those directions. The Holy Spirit compels us and pushes us together, but he also propels us out 
And so we see that. So let's look at a couple of the purposes here. Let's look at the purposes of the Gather Church. First, real quickly, the Gather Church is meant to equip one another for kingdom ministry. Ephesians 4, 11 through 13, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. God has given us He's given us specific roles and abilities in the church so that we could build one another up and equip one another. Another purpose of the gathered church is that we give a picture of a kingdom community and promise to those who are seeking. We have a different value system. We have different priorities. Also, we show the love of God to one another and the world. John 13, 34, and 35, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So as we gather and as we truly and deeply and purposefully care for one another and love one another, we actually reveal a love that's not of us. The love becomes a testimony that points to the reality of Jesus. The love points to the love of God that worked on behalf of a creation that had sinned against him. We give a real picture of that. We give a picture of a kingdom, um, a kingdom of God where we, we work in his economy, in his culture, and it, and it, becomes, it becomes a convincing picture that, that brings people to God. We also compel each other to good works, Hebrews 10, 24, and 25, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Also, the gathered body of Christ pursues and learns to live in unity. 1 Corinthians 1.10, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. So to kind of try to summarize that up in a statement, we teach and equip one another. We stir each other up to good service and good work. We gain a unified vision. We grow in our understanding to each other's needs, and we are moved to act in serving one another and the world around us. Another core value that we mentioned, we commit to live missionally to our community. That's the world around us. And I'll say this, this is more of a reminder than a distinct value because actually to live in biblical community entails this reality. We can't say that we are living a community that honors God, looks like what's compelled, like what is laid out for us in the Word and, and lives out the call of Christ if we don't actually have this, but because of the way that we think and we like kind of sequential teaching, this is good for us to make a distinctive. So living missionally is actually the scattered church. We talked about the gathered churches, the scattered churches. How do we live out the missiological purpose, the purpose of reaching the world for Christ together as the church? So as a scattered church, the purpose we see is that we infiltrate darkness with the light of Christ. We live faithful and obedient lives to reveal the goodness and glory of God to the world, making the king and the kingdom more tangible. And we live out our personal gospel call to those we have been given influence, and burden with and invite others along to stir up and mature them in faith. So again, I know this is probably a lot more of conversation starters than it is full exposition, but but want to get the big picture out there. So again, every Christ follower is a disciple maker. Every disciple maker is a missionary with a mission field to claim. So let's think about that. A missionary with a mission field to claim. 
if we are disciple makers, we have to, again, it is that gospel proclamation unto salvation. We are the priesthood of believers, as Peter exhorts us to. We all have this role in this opportunity. We can and should focus on caring for the needs of the community and the city that we are in, joining in with organizations and opportunities that you have passion, access, and influence with. We should engage that. I mean, I love that I can say, like, as us, this little church, I would challenge you to find an organization in Montrose that we don't have someone serving in. I love it. Just looking around the room, I, I, see, I see organizations represented by people sitting here that they're serving in. And we absolutely should pursue that. But my prayer is that we would be known, you know, that we would be known um, by this, but never at the expense or in lieu of taking the message of Jesus personally to our family, friends, neighbors, co-workers. See, if we're all engaged in this kind of life, we can truly achieve gospel saturation in our city. And we would define gospel saturation as is where every man, woman, and child has an encounter with Jesus Christ every day through word and deed. That's our pursuit. That's our goal. That's the charge before us. And if every one of us, by in realizing that it's, we can't say that's not my job or I'm not there yet, but every one of us had this opportunity and call in Christ, then we actually can see that happen. And we should want to. I love how Tim Hawks put this. He says, if the church does not do this, meaning refer to this pursuit of gospel saturation through our lives, then who will? These organizations that are focused on specific needs, Yes, they have a gospel center. Yes, I'm sure they share the gospel, but, it, but they are focused on meeting a specific need. We, the church, are the ones who, meant, or who are meant to, as light, infiltrate darkness, take the message of Jesus, the gospel, to every person, every corner. He says, it is about good news over good deeds. We don't ever become complacent and say, you know, uh, thinking that we're exempt from proactively giving of our time and abilities and coming alongside needs. But man, if we are not driven to the good news, you know, if we're not burdened for our neighbor, if we're constantly driving to another neighborhood to do ministry, and we've never thought twice about our neighbors, then I pray that God just stirs us up and opens our eyes. So the question is, are you pastoring your street or your apartment complex? You know, we talk a lot about knowing and being known at the bridge, you know, the, 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 that it takes that dual kind of risk of, of the, the awkwardness of taking the risk of stepping into someone else's life and initiating, also the, 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 the risk of being vulnerable and letting other people in. Again, this is the posture in which we need to look at our world in those places that we encounter every day. So I want to challenge ourselves to this. I want to challenge us to know our neighbors. Look at this picture. This is a very rudimentary representation of, you know, again, this is a street, neighborhood street. I drew this, yeah. Um, but, you know, if you live in an apartment complex, use your imagination. But just say this is your home. You live there. You've got neighbors adjacent to you on every side. How many of those neighbors right now can you put a name to? How many do you know their name? And then if you know their name, do you know their fears? Do you know their goals? Do you know what matters to them? Do you know any of their history? And, and I'll say this just to put some grace out there. 
It's a two-way street. I remember, like, when I first awoke into this, I lived in a townhome complex, and I was kind of, some of you have heard this before, but I was kind of the weird blind, blind bender. Like, I would wait, I would stare at my window and, like, wait for someone to go check their mail or take their garbage out, and I would literally run out, like, run out and grab my empty trash can <laughs> and, like, take it just so I could talk to them, and they would, you know, I don't know if it was, like, my intensity or just whatever else, but they would retreat, you know, <laughs> you know, and, and, and that's a funny little picture, but I mean, for real, they're like, we, you can, you can do all sorts of outreach and inviting, and it still takes them to say yes, or to actually engage, so a lot of grace, but you can, but you can also take responsibility for yourself, are you creating the space, are you intentional to the space, are you making sacrifices, and are you, are you thinking about it, so again, let grace lead you in this, not guilt, but there's an opportunity around you. And so I, I, want, I want to challenge us to that. You, you, as a missionary with a mission field to claim, claim your street. Pastor your street. What are the needs they have, physical and spiritual? How can you come alongside? Invite us to come along with you. That's the picture of the body of Christ. Um, so another, we're coming hopefully towards the end. Um, Another core value is that we commit to full biblical freedom. Um, spiritually speaking, this is first and foremost the, the work of Christ, the liberating work of Christ unto salvation. Socially, it's that we are free to go where the light of Christ is needed. Unfortunately, kind of the conservative culture has told us that we should not go to certain places, that we should make them come to us so that we don't taint the testimony of Jesus. And I'm like, man, have you read the Bible? Because like, I think you're tainting the testimony of Jesus by, by making them come to you because Jesus went and spent time with the undesirables where the, where the religious elite said, what the heck are you doing there? Why are you with them? And they sneered at Jesus. But he was with the prostitute and the tax collector and, and anyone else. That's who Jesus went to. And so, again, like we are socially free Again, let's not, let's not use this to tackle on our freedom to go be sinful, but again, like socially, we are free to go where the light is needed. We're supposed to like, follow the example of Jesus. So all of this results in our final core value uh, that bookends all of our efforts. It informs our motivation and our goal, and that is that we commit to multiplying disciples and churches. So why multiply? Because if it just ends at you, that's addition. If it depends on you sharing the gospel and reaching that person, and it's about that, and then you have to go do it again, and it's about this church planting a church, and then this church planting another church, that's the addition. Why multiply? Because if you're truly making disciples to where they are mature followers of Christ, taking on the mission of the gospel, then it goes beyond you. You lead someone to Christ, walk alongside them to maturity to where they have now accepted this daily mission, and now they've done the same, and then so on and so on, that exponential work of the gospel, that, that's, that's the pursuit we don't want to build our little kingdom. We want to build God's kingdom, and that happens beyond us. And you want to talk about a legacy that lasts? That's the legacy that lasts. The bridge will close one day. The bridge will not be here forever. Take every church that started in the first 500 years of the church. None of them are here today, and I'm sure they were pretty good. None of them were here. There will be a day when we're not here, but yet if we pursue this selfless, others-focused, Jesus-centered, reaching and teaching way of life, it'll be unending. Like we said last week, as, as Emma's going to Austin, we now have influence and impact in Austin because she has been here building into us and we've been building into her. So that's the picture. So apply that to you and our church. Planting churches is both strategic and natural when we are compelled to reach the lost 
teach the lost and the and new believers and equip all Christ followers to kingdom ministry. So we don't pursue church planting as a growth model. We pursue it because if we're going to make disciples, we have to send people out. Otherwise, we get, we get fat and saturated and lazy and and then we have to put more money towards sustaining people as opposed to equipping and sending out. And so it's just a natural result of reaching and raising up and releasing. So if I can, I know I'm a little long, but if I can, oh, if I can, I want to get practical just for a minute. This is that impractical, practical thing, right? Um, so just what's your role in our church? And let me tell you this, it's not just to volunteer to support our efforts. And it's not just to volunteer to support some other organization's efforts. Yes, those things are needed, and we need more people to volunteer on Sundays, by the way. Right now, if you want to volunteer on Sundays, please come volunteer. Children's ministry set up, tear down, hospitality, greeting set up. We, we need you. If you want to set up, get a volunteer card or volunteer. If you get a contact card, write, I want to volunteer, and we'll take it from there. Okay. But with that aside, that's not the extent of your expectation. Because you are a disciple maker and a missionary, you have a people that God has given you influence with and a, and, a, and, a, and a yearning for, and he intends to proclaim his riches of grace in Christ through you. We've already said that. So this is a call on each of our lives, and yet it is not to be lived out solely individualistically. And this is tough in our culture today. Like we are, America especially, we are, we are staunchly individual. Like we pride ourselves on our ability and our purpose and, that's, and you have to each accept personal responsibility in this call of Christ. But yet it is never to be, it is, not, it is not the full picture if we just say that just happens in my life. And, and as long as I'm obedient to that, like we, are, we have to have a togetherness in our, in our view of how we live this out. The church is always plural. The call is always one that we are called to together. We need each other for the fullness of joy in God to be expressed and experienced in our lives. We do, because again, each one of our image of, of God is marred by our flesh. And yes, we are restored, but when we are together, we actually look more like Jesus and embody more of his manner. And so we need each other. It's not diminishing that joy only comes from Christ to say that, but to experience the fullness of joy and to express the fullness of joy, we need one another. So we live out our purpose of the gathered church. So this is just, I, I, I debated on whether this was any different than what we said earlier I think it is, because I just want to put a little flesh on you and me of how we engage in living out the purpose of the gathered and the scattered church. So if it's not, sorry, but I hope it is. So we live out our purpose as the gathered church by using our gifts to care for and equip one another to be healthy and ready for kingdom mission. No one is lacking in a gift that can be used. No one is lacking in that at all. Every gift is of equal importance. And yes, in the way that God works, in the design of, of the church, like there are those who are capable of, of greater leadership responsibility, but if any of us say that I am not necessary or my gift is lesser, we will not function in the way that God intended. Um, so, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, we also... the. We live out our purpose by using our space together to invite those seeking and to discover that the love of God is real, his truth is good, and that Jesus is our only hope for freedom, meaning, and salvation. That's in these times that we organize and gather well, but it's also your lives. Again, like creating space and not doing it alone. Like, I love it when we have a gathering 
and I can invite my neighbors, and I know I've got some of y'all there, and my neighbors there, and it's just the beautiful mashup of whatever happens. And then we live out our purpose as the scattered church. So did you, sorry, did you catch that? First off, personally using your gifts to equip one another and be healthy and ready for kingdom mission, and then using our space together, this is a gathered church, to invite others in. And then we live out the purpose of the scattered church by using our gifts to love and reach the world for Christ individually, um, using our lives to awaken people to the reality of God's kingdom, that he is, that, that is here and yet to come where shalom is achieved, where all is restored to the way it should be. Um, it's that, that line from Tolkien from Lord of the Rings when Sam Gamgee says, so you mean to tell me that all that is sad will become untrue? Like, that's the, that's the picture. And I love C.S. Lewis, how he puts it. He says, and this is the message that we get to proclaim. Some mortals say of some temporal suffering, no future bliss can make up for it. Not knowing that heaven, once attained, will work backwards and turn even the ag- that agony into a glory. So we sum all of this up with our mission statement. We commit to a journey of transformation together toward Jesus for the glory of God. It is the gospel. It is the work of Christ that transforms. And as we follow Jesus, we invite people to say, follow me as I follow Christ. And he transforms them as we are shoulder to shoulder in life pursuing him. So be intentional to relationships with those who are lost. Be intentional to invite those who are lost into gospel community, both in your homes and in our, the places that we provide. Be a part of transformation groups. Be a part of serving together, both in the bridge and outside. Know that disciple-making and the work of all this goes beyond what we can organize. It goes into your lives. And that's, that's it. <laughs> like, that's it. That's all we do. So um, I want to encourage you towards that. The trajectory is always Jesus, gospel proclamation. If we are people that live out the love and never, and never speak the truth, we come up short. So, every Christ follower is a disciple maker. Every disciple maker is a missionary with a mission field to claim. Where is your opportunity that you can claim? The greatest part of this all is that we're not left to it ourselves. The end of verse 20, Jesus says, and behold, I am with you always to the ends of the age. We're not, we don't have to do it ourselves. Like he's with us and he is leading us. He's our prince of peace where all has been restored and we can enter into risk and adversity and trial and yet without fear. What greater assurance is that? Jesus says, behold, I am with you always to the ends of the age. God, what an amazing truth and an amazing life that you have given us in Christ. What I pray as we go throughout the rest of this day and the days to come, that we would remember, Lord, that we were created by you, for you, and you have made that possible in Jesus. I pray that our life would be totally enveloped, overcome by the work and cause of Christ. I pray that we would embrace the reality that if we have confessed Christ, that we are also compelled to go and make disciples, and that means that we are a missionary with the mission field to claim. So let us see in that way, Lord, let us abide in your grace. Um, Lord, not, not letting this be a chain around our necks, but a purpose that drives our lives. So let us remember well the work of Christ. Let us identify with him in his surrender and death, and also identify with him in his life. So Lord, we love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.